Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good morning, Lighthouse. It is so good to be with you as we uh, kick off the Christmas season this year. Uh, whether you're here in the house or, or if you're Fostoria wa- watching the, the live stream or, or those that are away today watching from home, uh, we're just glad that the whole family can be together as we kick off the Christmas season this year. I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to believe that Christmas is already coming. You know, I still have projects that I'm going to do this summer. You know, and uh, I think it's too late. The ground is frozen, and it's too late to do those things. But you know, Christmas is a time uh, when uh, visiting becomes very, very important. Uh, it's a time you could even say it's just a time for visitation. Uh, maybe you see that weird uncle one time a year, or maybe they're family members that you don't see very often, uh, but they come around at Christmas time. Christmas is a time of visitation. You know, for Debbie and me this year. Uh, both of our daughters are coming, and their husbands, and our five grandchildren, and then Debbie's parents and her sister. It's going to be a big group of people. They're going to descend on the house. They're going to be there for several days. Uh, one of the events that we've planned is uh, we're going to let the kids, the grandkids, uh, decorate, cut out Christmas cookies. We're going to put down plastic. You know, we're going to have the kids around. Lots of sprinkles, and you know, we're looking for a uh, industrial cleaner for the new year. But we think it's going to be controlled chaos. We're not sure, but we think that that's what's going to happen. Um, it's a great time when people descend and when people visit and you get together. The first Christmas in the Bible is marked by visitations, all kinds of supernatural visitations. Now, each of the Gospels is four Gospel accounts. These are just written accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, but two of the uh, Gospel writers, uh, Mar- uh, Matthew and Luke, uh, give us tremendous background in history, and they, and they completely tell the story of the life of Jesus. For instance, in Matthew, it begins with the Holy Spirit visiting Mary. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a natural birth. It's a supernatural birth. And the angel Gabriel, the Gab- Gabriel is the angel that stands in the very presence of God. The the, uh, angel Gabriel said, he is going to be holy because he is the son of God. That's what the angel told uh, Mary. Then the angel has to visit Joseph to walk him back from the edge, okay? You know, think about Joseph. He hears this this story about Mary, and uh, he knows they haven't been together. Something very, very different and radical is going on. Listen to what the angel tells Joseph, when, when he visits, um, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus, and he is the one who is going to save his people from their sin. The Old Testament prophets also talk about a visitation, a visitation of Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us, right. The virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. The visit of Emmanuel was actually predicted 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. And then the Magi come, the wise men from the east, and they follow that star, a unique star in the sky that leads them to Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Luke also records lots of uh, specific miracles around the birth of Christ, but, but different miracles. For instance, the angel Gabriel comes to visit Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is this, or, uh, Gabriel is the same angel that had visited Mary before, and uh, he's now standing in front of Zechariah the priest. And he says this, uh, you're going to have a son in your old age, and John the Baptist was to be his son. John's the one who's going to point us all to Jesus, the Messiah. And then you remember when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife. And the baby leaps within Elizabeth when she hears Mary's voice. And Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she asks this question, why am I so honored that the Lord, uh, the mother of my Lord should visit me? It's a supernatural event. She had this understanding of what was going on inside of Mary. And then the angel of the Lord visits the shepherds out in the field, and we see those pictures at Christmas, right? And you remember the scripture that Linus quotes on Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? How many people here are Charlie Brown Christmas fans? Uh, there's a few still. There's younger people. Of, Who's Charlie Brown? Yeah. <clears throat> and this is what he says as he quotes from the King James Version of the Christmas story. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I think we can agree that Matthew and Luke, they provide the Christmas story. That's the story we read with awe. And, and we take great delight in that at Christmas time as we think about all the, the supernatural events surrounding the birth of Jesus. But then there's John. And John dispenses with all that detail. There are no questions about angels. There's no wise men following stars. There's no little manger with hay where Jesus was born. No shepherds in the field. All of that detail is just completely left out by the Gospel of John. Instead, John dials into just one simple truth, something he wants all of us to understand, to know. And this is the truth that John wants to say, he wants us to hear. That baby in the manger, that's God draped in human flesh. God draped in human flesh. And this birth, this birth of Jesus, literally changes everything. The message, a paraphrase of the Bible, says it this way. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's what happened on Christmas. This is a series about God showing up in Christmas time. These next four weeks, we're going to discover Jesus the Creator. We're going to talk about that this week. Uh, next week, the God or Jesus, the Revealer, the one who, the only one who could clearly communicate who God is. Then Jesus, the Savior, the week three, and then Christmas Eve, Jesus, the only one worthy of being followed. Creator, Revealer, Savior, and Lord. 
This is the Jesus that's explained to us in the Gospel of John. In this series, we're hoping you invite other people to hear the story about Jesus as we gather together each week and talk about uh, Jesus from the perspective of John, a man who knew him well. Let's pray together, and then we'll read from John chapter 1. Let's pray. We come before you, Holy Spirit, and we want you to know you're welcome in this place. We pray that your spirit works in our hearts and our minds as we open the Bible and we talk about uh, your word, your communication, your enlightenment to us. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would see Jesus during this Christmas series. We pray all this in his name. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, says this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word is a biblical name for Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. My first observation from this little passage is that Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is God. In the beginning, God already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. You know, the Bible doesn't start with a philosophical argument for the existence of God. In fact, it starts just with a statement. God has always been there from the very beginning. God is the only one who's eternal, the one from the beginning. We see the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all involved in creation. Sometimes people push back and they say, how can you believe in God, this God that existed in the beginning? You weren't there, you can't know that for sure. How can you know that God was really there in the beginning? I think that's a reasonable question. It's a question we can ask and should ask. Uh, Seekers of truth ask that kind of question. It's completely acceptable. But I think it's something that we have to think about uh, from a clear perspective. There's a couple things I would say about that. The first thing I'd say is this, no matter what your system of thought, you have to start with something in the beginning. You can't start with nothing, and there has to be something. Even an atheist who denies the existence of God as their starting point, they start with something. Maybe it's eternal matter, maybe it's energy, it's something. They believe in something that's at the beginning that they can't prove. Many very smart people have suggested that belief in eternal God is a very reasonable starting place, maybe even more reasonable a starting point than these other unproven assumptions that God doesn't exist. That's a good starting point. Second, Christians accept God as a creator by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And we know that the things we see did not come from things that can't be seen. God created everything out of nothing. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about uh, people who come to God. They must come to him with a belief that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
You know, after a person believes, the overwhelming evidence for the existence of God typically crashes in on them. You know, it's faith seeking understanding. People who walk with God don't have the kind of doubts that people who are far away from God have. John simply starts his gospel this way. He points to Jesus, the one who always existed, the one who created the world, the one who created life, the one who created light. Now, there are lots of evidences for the existence of, of, of Jesus, or the deity of Jesus in the gospel of God, or John. And I want to talk about a few of those evidences. The first is in John 10.30, what Jesus actually says. Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. It's a clear statement. In response to that, the people picked up stones to pummel Jesus. They wanted to kill him, not because he was doing miracles, but because they said he was blaspheming. They said this, you, being a mere man, claim to be God. There's no confusion in their minds. They understood what he was saying. Jesus was claiming deity, and they wanted to kill him because of it. The second thing that crosses my mind is the things that Jesus did. Jesus healed people who were blind and people who were lame. He cast out demons. He fed mass numbers of hungry people. All these things that normal people can't do were done in the presence of many, many witnesses. In fact, in John chapter 11, we see that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in front of many people. And last week we talked about uh, Jesus himself being raised from the dead. John chapter 20 talks about that. The resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, all of that, were, they were very public events. People saw these. Many people were around. If you're part of the reading of last week, 1 Corinthians 15, it talks all about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the point of all these miracles and all these events that are recorded in the Bible are written, verse 31 of John chapter 20, these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you will have life by the power of his name. John has an agenda. You know, I would encourage every person here during the Christmas series to think about reading through the Gospel of John. There are 21 days between now and Christmas, and there's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. John bends over backwards to explain to us who Jesus is by both what he said and also by what he did. But don't just read the Gospel of John. As you would read, I'd encourage you to ask one question, each page, each chapter. Who is this Jesus that John wants us to know? Think about that question as you read. The point is this. As you read the pages of the Gospels and you understand Jesus, God in the flesh, you'll be discovering God himself. Because to see Jesus is to see God. If you've seen me, Jesus said, uh, you've seen the Father, God in the flesh. Those who seek to know God can find everything that God has revealed to us in the pages of the Scripture. And as you study the life of Jesus, you have this, this window right into the heart of God himself. 
The second observation I'd make from this passage is that Jesus is the creator of the world that we live in. Verse 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except what was created through him. This is a parallel passage to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to slow down just a second and look at this next slide together. This is what's going on here at Christmas time. The creator is invading his creation. The creator is going to walk on the earth that he had made. John 1.14 says, Jesus is God in the flesh. Matthew says it this way, he's Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a time God personally came into our world. This isn't simply a sweet Christmas story about the baby of the manger. It's a supernatural story. It's the story of when God showed up. Sometimes the best way to explain something is through pictures. And I have some pictures here I'd like to show you that I took in Israel. This is a picture looking across the Sea of Galilee from the south. Right in the front there, you can see some kind of bushes growing up through the water. Those are real shallow waters there. And that's Topka. Topka. That's where uh, Jesus called Andrew and Peter and James and John. They were there mending their nets after fishing. It happened right there. Jesus walked up to them on the earth he had created and called them to be fishers of men. Now, if you turn around and look up the hill, the next picture is what you see. Those are first century telephone lines there. (laughs) They were way, way ahead of us. But you know, this grassy spot that you see here, that's where Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember the disciples had everybody sit down in groups of 50 or 100, and the food was multiplied, the bread and the fish and the people were fed. It happened right there on the earth that Jesus had made. You know, down on the left side there you see some flowers. We have a close-up of those wildflowers. That's what they look like. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking among those flowers that, that line the pathway through that field with Jesus? What do you think you would have talked to him about? Walking on the earth he had created with him. Go back to the picture just before this one. Yeah, this picture here. If you were to walk on that pathway, you can see the pathway by the telephone pole there. If you took that pathway and you go west to the left and then down a little bit, uh, it's about a day's, maybe a day and a half, you get to Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. If you go the other direction, about a couple miles maybe, you get to Capernaum. That's where Jesus healed all kinds of people. A little further is Bethsaida. That's, uh, I think, Andrew's hometown. You can guess that, that everything here is very, very close by. The third, or the last uh, shot I have there is walking down one of the paths. You know, this is a path down through. The yellow flowers are there. You see the whole Sea of Galilee 
Tiberius is, is up a ways. Yeah, this is the land of Jesus. He actually walked on the earth. And you know, Jesus isn't far away. Jesus is, is close by. In the beginning, I think the disciples were probably confused. They didn't probably know that this was God in the flesh. That had been a pretty foreign concept, you think? This guy, Jesus, walking with them, talking about stuff. What do you think you would talk to him about? What would you say as you realized over time, watching what Jesus said and watching what Jesus did? And it starts to dawn on you that this is something very, very different than anybody else I've ever met. God in the flesh. Peter, thinking about this, maybe he's referring to the transfiguration, I'm not sure. But Peter says this, we weren't making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. People interacted with God in the flesh. Jesus had the authority over the world. He walked on water. He healed. He cast out demons. He had the power to forgive sin. In the end, uh, he rose from the dead. All those details are written in the Gospels for us to uh, to read. So don't make it a mistake. Don't make the mistake of ignoring the overwhelming evidence for who Jesus is. All these things happened in this small little place in the presence of lots of people who wrote things down. John himself, a little later in life, thinks back over the life of Jesus. John, they think, lived to be a very old man. And in the back of the Bible, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the little letters that he wrote. In the first uh, letter he wrote, John chapter, uh, 1st John chapter 1, this is what he said. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have uh, heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who has eternal life. He was with the Father, he was revealed to us, and we proclaim that we also ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God draped in human flesh. And because of that, he understands the struggles in our lives. He was human. He humbled himself and took on flesh. He humbled himself in that way. Jesus knows what it's like to feel tired. He knows uh, what it's like to experience pain. Jesus understands betrayal. He knows what it's like when he was laughed at. He experienced all those things. Jesus never had a home. He slept on someone else's couch. Jesus is God in the flesh. At Christmas time, we celebrate the day that Jesus showed up to reach out to us. He didn't come to make our human experience a little bit better. He came to show us God. He came to invite us to eternal life, to know him. 
The third observation I'd make from the text is that Jesus gave life to all that was created. The word gave life to everything that was created, and this and uh, his life brought light to everyone, it says in verse 4. In the parallel account in, of creation from Genesis chapter 1, we see that God spoke the world into existence. He breathed the breath of life into man. He made us living souls. He made us to be like him. The evidence shouts so loudly that life comes from God. It's not a cosmic mistake. And our life is a gift from God. God didn't just bring us physical life. He also brought us eternal life. He's the author of spiritual life. Consider John chapter 5. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, they have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins, but they've already passed from death and into life. The creator of physical life offers spiritual life, that is eternal life, to those who believe. The fourth and last observation I'd make from this text is this. Jesus, the creator of light, is the light that cannot be extinguished. The light shines from darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. According to Genesis, in the beginning, there was nothing but darkness, and there was void until God created. And the first thing that God created was light. Before he created the sun and moon and stars, he created light, because God is light himself. He spoke physical light into existence. Jesus is the source of light. We're not just talking about physical light, but we're talking about enlightenment. We're talking about understanding. We're talking about truth that brings salvation. To know God is to know illumination. It's to experience life. It's to experience purpose. A little further in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the people, and this is what he says to the, to the crowd. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you're going to have the light that leads to life. You might say it this way. You're going to have the understanding that leads to salvation. You know, one of the most compelling accounts of a miracle in the whole Bible is John uh, chapter 9, the man who was born blind. He was born blind, never had any physical sight until Jesus came and healed him. Jesus healed him before this man even knew who Jesus was. But then later, after Jesus' identity was uh, discovered by this man, he believes. And he worships Jesus for who he is. This blind man gained not only physical sight, but he gained spiritual sight, understanding of who Jesus is. He worshiped, he believed. You know, there are people all around us who in the, the evidence of all kinds of spiritual light resist that, and they choose spiritual darkness instead. The religious leaders in this day were that way. They had physical sight. They could see everything around them, and yet they missed Jesus and who he was. When a person believes in Jesus, the creator of physical life, uh, physical light, they, they gain spiritual insight. 
And that seed of spiritual insight starts to grow, and as they know him and mature in their faith, that light becomes realized. The little, smallest little amount of light that we um, can see in a dark room dissipates that darkness. And as we gain spiritual light, it points, it pushes back against spiritual darkness as we know God better. Paul explains spiritual light in his second letter uh, to the church at Corinth. It's a message that helps us understand the nature of spiritual light. He says this, Satan, who is the god of this world, small g, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is in the exact likeness of God. Then it says, For God, who said, Let there be light, has made his light shine into our hearts. He's talking to Christians here. So that we can know the glory of God as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And now we have this light shining in our hearts. That's why Christians have joy. Belief in Jesus brings spiritual light that displaces spiritual darkness. To know Jesus is to know God. And to know God is to have eternal life. And that's where hope comes from at Christmas. Christmas is a time of mixed emotions for all of us. Perhaps Christmas is a time where uh, memories or self-reflection make you feel unloved or unnoticed or unworthy. Uh, I was reading recently a, uh, an article about the holiday blues. Those are, that's a real thing that they've documented. Up to half of the people walking around feel blue at Christmas time. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in the joy of the season or maybe you're feeling blue. Either way, the message of Christmas is this. God showed up for you. That's the message of Christmas. God's not far away, but he's close to those who seek him. I was thinking back several times as I was working on this teaching about those yellow flowers and what it would be like to walk there with Jesus, to talk to him about the things on my mind. And you know what that is? Actually, that's prayer. When we talk to Jesus about the things on our mind, we can talk to him about anything. That's prayer. I've been reading through the Gospel of John. I've read it several times. And one of the chapters that always catches my attention is chapter 2. Right in the very beginning of Jesus' more public ministry, uh, he turns water into wine at this little wedding in Cana. Think about uh, Cana for a minute. It's a place that historians can't even find on a map. It's so small. It's a place that's kind of disregarded by the world. God in the flesh, God is coming to his creation, and he shows up in a place about the size of forest. Like, there's no marketing intent there. He shows up in a place like forest, and when the wine runs out, it's embarrassing, right? The servants who are bringing the water to fill the stone water pots, probably young girls, people who had no status in life at all, they're the first ones that saw the miracle. When they dipped the water out and the water had become wine, 
the people who had the least status, the most humble, the least recognized, are the ones who saw the miracle first. You know, the starting point is the same for every single person before God. Believing first that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the first starting point. The second is recognizing we've gone our own way in what the Bible calls sin, our own direction in life. And the third point is this, knowing that Jesus brings salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation with God. He brings peace. He brings hope. Those are the messages of Christmas that Jesus came for us. And genuine belief in Jesus brings the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us in our lives. John 3.16 is probably uh, the most quoted verse in the Bible. This is what it says. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes can have eternal life. The final slide here this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. It's a better summary than I could write myself. This is what the author says. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the world. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven. Over this Christmas season, we're going to hear about Jesus from the Gospel of John. Jesus is our creator. He's the one who reveals God to us. He's our Savior, and he's our Lord. We hope you come back for the entire Christmas season. It's a time to bring a guest with you to hear about the genuine Jesus from the Bible. I'd like to pray together before we move into a time of communion. God, we pray that you would just open our hearts to the glory of Christmas, the day you took on flesh and came into this world so that we could see you, that you would reveal yourself as Savior and Lord. We're grateful that you loved us in that way. We pray all these things through Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.